Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to get them open this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Today we are in chapter 4. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here, and a special welcome to you. I'm so very glad to see each and every one of you. I look out every Sunday, and some might think, what does, some, some people have said to me, they come up after sermons and they go, were you looking at me? And I'm like, yes, I was. Um, I actually see you. I, I love you, and I appreciate you. I value you, and um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity we have uh, today to gather as the family of God and to open his word together. If you're new this morning, I just want to tell you from my heart how grateful I am that you're here. Our church started in a living room on Mud Island and has grown to serve this community uh, in greater and greater ways uh, to be a light uh, for the good news of Jesus here in this downtown community. Most of us in this church live around this area, and we're truly friends and family, and uh, we just welcome you this morning and hope that you feel at home uh, with us today. Um, our only desire for you is that you might grow closer in your relationship with God, and uh, if we can be a support to you in that desire and journey that you are, are in, uh, we would be glad to have you continue to be a part of this church. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Jesus Messiah, and we're studying through the Gospel of Matthew. And it is our um, just practice here. We typically walk through books of the Bible, and right now we're walking through Matthew together. And um, this morning, we've come to chapter 4, and we are going to be starting in verse 12. Matthew is one of the four Gospels, one of the four books that's written to help us know all about the person of Jesus. And Matthew, one of the 12 disciples, uh, whose own life has been transformed by the grace of Jesus, uh, is writing this book as a historical account for us to really know who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, what he's come to do, and what he can still do for all who trust and follow him. And um, we've been talking over and over about the fact that Matthew is a bridge builder. He bridges us from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and he helps us to really understand Jesus in light of all that God has promised. The Old Testament being a book of promise, the New Testament being a book of fulfillment. And ultimately, Matthew's desire is to point us to the fact that Jesus has fulfilled all of the promises of God. Truly, he is the Christ, which means he's the Messiah. He is the one anointed by God, brought by God in his power to fulfill his promise so that you and I can have hope of a restored relationship with God, which is the whole reason for our life. And so this morning, we are going to be talking about, if you've got something to write with, maybe, uh, in your guide or in your phone or whatever it is that you choose, uh, the topic of today's message is Kingdom Come. The title of today's message, Kingdom Come. And the subtitle is The Ministry of the Messiah. Kingdom Come, the Ministry of the Messiah. And I want to go ahead and give you our core truth today. As always, the core truth is meant to help you summarize, to understand, believe, receive, and then disciple another in the truth of God's Word. And the core truth comes straight from the text. I want your confidence to not be in the core truth, but in the Bible, but I do hope the core truth will help you to understand God's Word. It's this today. Jesus can restore the reign of God into my heart and life again. Now, I personalize this today for you because I believe this message today is a very personal one. So I want you to hear it for yourself. 
Jesus can restore the reign of God in my heart and life again. He invites me to trust, to follow, and to experience him fully. Jesus can restore the reign of God in my heart and my life again. And he invites me to trust, to follow, and to experience him fully. And this applies to anyone in the world, but this applies to you. And I want you this morning to hear God's word from Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. And we have a short passage today relative to some of the others that we've had in weeks previous. We're going to be reading from chapter 4, starting in verse 12 through the end of the chapter. I read from the English Standard Version. It reads this. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went, and he lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all of the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him, from Galilee and Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is God's word. Again, our core truth, Jesus can restore the reign of God in my heart and in my life 
again. He invites me to trust, to follow, to experience him fully. I love how Matthew organizes his book. We've talked before about his intentionality in his organization. The early chapters of Matthew have been devoted to his introduction. We talked about that. We've been talking about that again and again and again. Matthew wants us to place all of our confidence in Jesus. He wants us to give our whole hearts, our whole hopes, our whole lives to him. Now, to do that, you need to know that he really is who he says he is. You really need to know that he truly is the promised one, the fulfillment of all of God's promise for a Savior. And Matthew devotes his whole opening section of the book to helping us know that we can be confident that Jesus truly is the Christ. And he'll continue this theme throughout the book, but in his opening sections, if you think about it, Really, Jesus has not uh, really stepped onto the scene in an active way to begin his ministry. All of these opening chapters have been setting the stage for this passage that we just read in Matthew 4. But based on all of the confidence that Matthew wants us to have in who Jesus is and what he's come to do, here Jesus comes and he introduces Jesus stepping onto the scene and beginning his public ministry, beginning his message and beginning to, to live and to minister among the people. And Matthew wants us to see that all of this is meant to lead us to this very personal moment when we behold Jesus and when we have to make a decision, what will we do with his message? What will we do with his invitation? What will we do with his promise? Will we put our trust? Will we surrender our life? Will we cling to his promise because of who he is? And, and Matthew wants us to know that Jesus has come for us, and we have a decision to make in light of who he is, what he's come to do, what he's promised. We have a decision to make. Probably one of the best verses in the Bible that help us understand the ministry of Jesus is right here in this passage. Did y'all notice? It's a summary verse of all that Jesus really did in his life and his ministry, and it's Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And I want to use this verse as kind of our guide for understanding this passage, because I really believe that it is a summary statement. Matthew's providing us a summary statement out of all that Matthew knew of Jesus of, of what Jesus was about. I mean, we know from John, books and books and books could not contain. So much more could be written about who Jesus is and what he did in his life and in his ministry on earth. But the reality is these have been given to us for a reason, but verse 23 helps us to really understand the summary statement of all that Jesus was doing. He says, and he went throughout Galilee, all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel and the, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So you notice there's three things here, right? First, we have what? Teaching. Second, we have proclaiming. And then third, we have healing, all right? So 
I want us to understand the kingdom of God by understanding these three main parts, okay? So you're going to have kind of a three points this morning, because we're going to look at these three aspects of the ministry of Jesus. As he steps onto the scene, he comes proclaiming, he comes teaching, and, and he comes healing. So I want to look at them together this morning, and we'll start with proclaiming. There in verse 23, if you're making your list, right? Where do we get this from? Again, he comes proclaiming. Now, what is he proclaiming? Draw an arrow over here. He's proclaiming what? The gospel of the kingdom. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, we're going to fill in what this means, okay? But to really understand the fullness of his message, his ministry of proclamation, we really need to go back to the beginning of the passage where we see in verse 12, and we had heard that John had been arrested, he withdraws into Galilee, okay? He's changing location, and he's moving to this region of Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he goes and he lives in Capernaum. It's a major kind of town that's there in the Galilee region by the sea. In the territory of Zebulun, Naphtali, so it will be spoken by the prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, Beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of the death, on them a light is dawn. And from that time he began to, here it is again, you can circle the word, preach. Okay? This is related to Matthew's summary, Matthew's summary message. He says he was proclaiming, right, the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 23. So here, that verse is referring back to here. He's preaching. He's proclaiming. What is he proclaiming? What is the gospel of the kingdom? Draw an arrow again. What is it? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we fill in, what does it mean to understand the ministry of the proclamation of Jesus? The proclamation ministry of Jesus looks like this. It's the good news of the kingdom to repent and to believe. The good news of the kingdom to repent and to believe. Matthew has already set up, if you remember in chapter 1, that Jesus is the true king. He's the son of David. He's the rightful heir to the throne. He's the promised king of Israel who will reign not just temporarily but forevermore, not just with sometimes good, sometimes bad, but with righteousness and justice forever. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is coming a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is who he says he is. He is Lord Matthew has set this up already, helped us to know who he is, but now he's applying this to what he's come to do and what he's come to do for you. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come, and what has the king come to do? He's come to establish the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God? 
I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it may be helpful just to put it on the screen again. Um, the kingdom of God is this. It's the reign of God in the hearts of his people. That's why the core truth, we say exactly what we said. Jesus has come to restore the reign of God in your heart and life again. The kingdom of God is God's reign, his, his belonging and his rulership, his taking the throne, his rightful place of worship and allegiance and, and loyalty, his, his place at the center of all. The King, Jesus, has come so that in your heart and in your life again, God might be the center. That God might establish his ruling presence at the center of your heart and the center of your life once again. The Bible teaches that all of us, all of us, if you look at the Genesis narrative, it's true of all of us. All of us have sinned. All of us have made a choice at some point in our lives. One of the better ways to understand sin is idolatry. We have chosen to prefer other things or ourselves over God. All of us have made a choice at some point in our lives to turn from God to take him out of the center of our heart and lives and to try to find what really only he can give in something else. And the Bible describes that idolatry, that turning away from God uh, as sin. Even though we deserve, though, to be separated from God and left in our sin, the king has come to bring good news to sinners to bring good news to those who have been broken and have turned away from God. He has come that once again you might have the opportunity for God to reestablish himself at the very center of your heart and of your life. And we so, so desperately need him. True life is found in relationship with him, with him being at the center. And Jesus comes with the good news of the kingdom. He says, I've come with good news. The time is here for you to repent. And yes, repentance is a big part. He's echoing the message of John, right? To turn away from your sin and to turn back toward God and to experience the rule of God once again in your heart and in your life. Three words I'd used from this passage to describe what the kingdom of God brings, the good news of the kingdom of God, light, hope, and grace. Light, hope, and grace. Matthew helps us to know that as Jesus comes in proclaiming the kingdom of God, once again, what does Matthew, look at verse 14. Once again, he says, he, he comes in, in fulfillment. Again, it's a key theme. So that the, the promise, the prophecy of Isaiah from the end of chapter 8 to the beginning of chapter 9, that's where this comes from. He says he comes that these things might be fulfilled. In other words, this king is coming 
with the message of the reign of God being established in your heart and your life again. How are you to understand this reign? Here's how. Do you remember when Isaiah promised? Look at it. For those who are in this region, they will see the people dwelling in darkness. Verse 16, that's the first thing I want you to pay attention to. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. This picture is one of those who are habitually in darkness. Those who have experienced a darkness of mind or a darkness of spirit. Those who, though, those who feel depressed and down and hopeless and frustrated. Those who have been trapped in sin and in bondage and just longing for the light of day to break in their heart and their life. For those who are truly aware of their deep and their desperate need for God to come again. Those who are truly, truly recognizing their darkness apart from God breaking through. For those, a light has dawned. What does it mean for the king to come? It means that once again, light, the light of God can shine in your heart and in your life again. Light in darkness. John 1 says the light is shown in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not overcome it. What does it mean? Secondly, it means hope. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, uh, on them a light has dawned. You ever felt like you've been walking through the shadow of death? <laughs> you ever felt like just completely hopeless? I know in my life I have experienced many different seasons where I have just literally felt hopeless apart from God. Anybody ever been there? where you have no idea how you will ever find a way forward unless there is some divine intervention. For those who sense that they're dwelling in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Hope has come. Hope in hopelessness. He's here. The king has come to bring hope, to flood hope once again into our lives and grace. I love that Matthew goes out of his way to mention the prophecy of Isaiah and part of the prophecy there in verse 15. Did you see that? What region has he come to? The Galilee of the Gentiles. Once again, God's promise that he's not just come for a particular group of people. He's come for all people. He hasn't just come for people who are good church attenders and law keepers and religious people of a good bloodline and 
education and family background and of a good socioeconomic status and living in the right neighborhoods of Judea. See, the Pharisees looked down on Jesus because he wasn't from the better city. But Jesus came to Galilee of the Gentiles. He came to live among the broken. He came to live among the downtrodden. He came to live among the poor. He came to live among the forgotten. He came to live among the hopeless. He came to live among desperate people, broken people. Why? To remind us that what he's come to do is not look for the righteous, but to give grace to the sinners. Because all of us are sinners. And he's not just come for my group of people. He's come for all people. He's come for the nations. I love that Jesus is the king. But don't miss out. It's one thing to admire him as the king, but it's another thing to trust him. To do what the king has come to do. The king has come so that in your heart and life you would be centered once again in the presence of God. He's come to take those who have been banished from the garden and to restore them to the place where God dwells, where he is everything, where he is sufficient. <laughs> the kingdom of God is in you. The question I have is, you know, I said in the main point, Jesus invites you to trust him. Are you trusting him? Have you repented of sin? Have you turned from idols, recognizing that you have turned away, recognizing that you're in darkness, that you're in a desperate place without God, that you have no hope by your own merits? And have you recognized the good news? I love that he comes proclaiming the gospel. We take that word for granted. The word gospel literally means good news. Do you see that it is good news that Jesus has come to bring light and hope and grace for those who turn from sin back to God? He can reestablish God's reign in your heart and life again. What a wonderful king. He's come proclaiming the kingdom. Secondly, we read in verse 23, not only does he come proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, but secondly, he comes, we read, teaching. Teaching. We see that there in verse 23. He was teaching. Where is he teaching? in their synagogues, right? How interesting, very interesting. To understand this more, we go back to the earlier part of chapter 4 and verse 18, when it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, what? Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says, immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he sees two other guys, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they're with Zebedee, the father, and they're mending their nets, and he calls them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. 
what is Jesus teaching? Let's unpack a little bit of what it means when we talk about teaching. It means the call of the kingdom to follow him. That's what it means. The call of the kingdom to come and to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching, come and follow. Jesus is much more interested in disciples than converts. In fact, you really cannot be a convert without being a disciple. The entirety of Jesus' message and ministry is an invitation for us to come into a deeper and growing relationship with him and to live our life following him. Discipleship is simply this. It's life lived following Jesus. Life lived following Jesus. And I love that Jesus is not just stand on the hills and preach sermons. Jesus opens up his life to men and women, and he invites them, I want you to come, and I want you to get to know me. I don't want you to just hear me preach once in a while. I want you to know me, like really know me. Like be around me to the point that like you have no doubts about who I am. You have no doubts in any circumstance what I would do. You have no doubts about my power. You know have no doubts about my promise, my love, my care, my covenant with you. I want you near me. And I want you to grow nearer and nearer and nearer to me. The more that you know me, the more I want you to know that I love you and the more that I hope that you love me. I want to invite you into a relationship with me. And I love that as we look at the ministry of Jesus, often, like in the next few weeks, we're going to be starting to study the Sermon on the Mount. He's sitting down on hillsides, and he's got people around him, and he's opening up the scriptures, and he's teaching them. He's explaining things to them. He's taking time with them. I love this. I, I love that often, you know, the disciples are like, we're tired, send the people away. And he's like, no, let's feed them so I can continue. Or granted, at times he did retreat, but the whole of Jesus' ministry was one of inviting people into an intimate, deep, growing relationship with him. And I love that here in Matthew we see the beginnings of this with the call of some of his disciples. And this is not the complete picture because we know there's 12 of them that are called through the other gospel accounts and the other scriptures. But we know with these four, this is the beginning. And I love this because we can learn from it. We can learn, like I said, see, I, I don't know about y'all, but many of us grow up thinking that to have a, to be a Christian, it looks like walking down an aisle, saying some magical prayer, and signing a card, being dunked in water, and then just waiting on Jesus to come back, or for me, him to take me home. But the reality is, that is not what makes a Christian. 
Yes, being a Christian involves listening to the message of the need to repent and to believe and to surrender. Yes, there is a moment of beginning of conversion where the Holy Spirit awakens us, light and darkness, hope and hopelessness, grace given because of Christ, not me. There's a beginning, but the picture of being a Christian is this active life of following after him. It's an active, daily, growing relationship with him. That's what makes a Christian. You want to know true Christians? It's people who love Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on a daily basis, if you look at their life, their real life, not their Sunday life, their real everyday life, they are wholeheartedly in love with him, and they're wholeheartedly surrendered to him, and they're wholeheartedly committed to following after him. And I love that Jesus calls disciples, and it's kind of weird the way he calls because, honestly, these disciples, typically, they would choose their rabbi, and this Jesus, he's choosing us. And the call is not to a group of educated seminary guys, right? Who are the disciples that you'd pick? <laughs> I want to look at your degree, buddy. You got an MDiv? You think you can do this whole church thing with me, Right? You want, to, you want the good guys, the cream of the crop from the wealthy families, the Harvards and the Yales, right? We're going to do this whole change the world thing. Wait, who does he call? Fishermen. Again, it's not about us. It's about him. Not about what we could do, but about what he can do. He calls us by his initiative, showing his grace, showing us that the whole experience with him is not going to be experience of our ability, but of his ability as we trust and follow him. Just watch. Just watch what I can do. And we see these guys who don't just baby step in, really. They're like, they leave everything and follow him. There's a picture of wholehearted surrender. And Jesus is saying, follow me. And they leave everything behind and they are dedicated to following after Jesus. And he says, I will make you fishers of men. You watch the purpose that I'll bring to your life again. It's beautiful. Teaching. I wonder how many of us have kind of just started coasting a bit in terms of our relationship with Christ. I've been guilty of it in seasons where we're saved and we just kind of grow apathetic. We take for granted a lot of things that we know, a lot of things that we believe, the assurances that we have. But if we're honest, in terms of really pursuing Jesus, really, really growing to know him more, really, 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 like, on a daily basis, having a, a sincere desire to learn him and to be more surrendered to him and to, to really give more of our hearts away to him and more of our lives away to him, I wonder how many of us grow apathetic. I wonder how many take for granted just being saved, but they've lost the passion to really pursue and to follow. I want us to remember, as we continue to open God's word, 
we have this opportunity on a daily basis to live our lives following Jesus. And it's not a one-time decision, it's an everyday invitation. Come, come and follow me. Come, come, come to know me. I'm open myself up to you, come. Instead of us going, oh, God, I forgot my daily quiet time, dang it, you know? No, when we think about the opportunities to open God's word or to read devotions or to listen, listen to fill our minds with, with music that really moves our hearts and lives closer to God, to really cultivate community with other believers, to learn from them and to live life with them, to really get involved in ministry here in the local context and among the nations. This is not just religion. This is not just activity. This is not just more stuff to do or religious things that I'm obligated to. No, this is an invitation to Jesus. Come and know more of me. Come and experience me more. I want to open my heart to you, my life to you. I want to fill you with my presence. I want to change the purpose of your life to where as you live, you are truly living for the things that really count. Come along with me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Some of us need to pray this morning, oh God, would you renew my passion to pursue you? Would you awaken my heart to not just being about this decision I've made in the past, but a daily choice I'm making to seek to follow you? Number three, I love this. Not only does he say that he came proclaiming, not only does it say he became teaching, but it also says that he came healing. There in verse 23, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. He's healing. What is he healing? Every disease. What is he healing? Every affliction among the people. Go no further than what he re says there in verse 24 and 25 as he explains this. He says, so his fame spread throughout all of Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Note this, all the sick, all kinds of diseases, all pains, people oppressed by demons, people having seizures, paralytics, and what is Jesus doing? He's healing them. This is a word of finality. He touches them. He speaks to them. He ministers to them in such a way that they are completely free of the brokenness, of the disease, of the oppression, the bondage that they've been in before they met Jesus. He's healing them. How do we explain or understand this healing ministry of Jesus? We'll explain it like this. In his healing ministry, it's the effects of the kingdom, the experience of full restoration. The effects of the kingdom, the experience of full restoration. What we're seeing here I literally can't imagine the scene. I mean, y'all 
we live in Memphis, right? Can y'all imagine this scene? If here in Memphis, Jesus came. And he came and began to work miracles. He came and every person who's been dependent on medicine because of a certain disease suddenly don't have to be. He heals them completely. Every person who's bound in a wheelchair suddenly is healed to where they can stand and walk and they're free of affliction, restored completely. People who have been in bondage, who are in addiction, who are in total despair, truly demonic situations, suddenly Jesus comes and he sets them free. And they're no longer in bondage in any way. Now, what would happen if he goes and shows up down on Poplar Avenue here in Midtown? What happens if he shows up on Mud Island? What would happen? What would y'all, right? Can y'all imagine the scene? And it says that during Jesus' years in Galilee, that he heals like this. That people are coming constantly, and Jesus is healing constantly. And he's not like, well, I can heal this kind, but not that kind. No, he's healing all kinds. He's not like just partially healing. He's totally healing. He is bringing restoration. This is the effects of the kingdom. And with the kingdom of God, we have this moment of already but not yet. We are tasting in part what one day we will see in full. This is the work that Jesus has come to do. Yes, it's primarily dealing with our hearts and sin, offering forgiveness and grace to those who believe in what he's going to do in his life, death, and resurrection. But it is also more than just for sin. He's come to restore everything to the original design and purpose of God. He will eradicate all effects of the brokenness of this world. He will do it in full one day, and the time has come that he has begun. Which means that for you and for me, we have the opportunity to experience Jesus fully. We have the opportunity to know one who is actively at work bringing restoration hearts and lives. And we will not see it all in this world, but there will come a day where we will see that God truly will make all things new. And I can't wait for that day. And what Jesus began here in Galilee, he will finish. He will finish. He's already guaranteed it by his death and resurrection from the grave, but there will come a day that he will finish the work of restoration in the new heaven and the new earth. And truly, his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And I can't wait. I just wonder for you, you know, do, like, are you... 
Like, where do you turn for restoration? There are so many places of my heart and life that God is presently at work restoring. In our brokenness and in our neediness, do we go to God? Do we really believe that He can do restorative work in our hearts and in our lives? Do we really believe Him? Is He our first go-to? Where, where presently do you need restoration? And are you going to Jesus? I mean, what I love about the end of this passage, and I'll close with this, verse 25, says, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. You know, I, I was literally um, on the shore of Galilee this past April. By God's grace, I had the opportunity to go. And by the way, I can tell you, ICC, I can announce, will be taking its first trip to Israel this next year. I will be leading a spiritual renewal week for about 20 or 25, and if you'd like to go, please, I'd ask you to consider signing up when you hear the announcement, but we'll be doing it regularly, so if you don't get the first one, you can do another one. But I literally was overwhelmed this past April as I sat there on the shores of Galilee and literally the towns are just lining the, the lake there. And I literally was reading this exact passage, not because I was preparing for the series, it's because it's where I was on my daily Bible reading. And I came across it, and it was talking about people coming from this whole region, and I literally sat there on the shore. I was sitting on a rock, and the water was right there below me, and I was thinking, Ken, how overwhelming would this be for, the, for, the, for people to hear the Messiah is here? People have been sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death, longing for the grace of God, feeling forgotten or too far gone for God's redemption, and they hear the Messiah is here. He's come to restore the reign of God in your life. He's come to invite you into a growing relationship with him, and he's come that you might experience the fullness of restoration which God can accomplish. And you watch as people start running they start running. They start making their way. Every time somebody gets sick, they make their way to Jesus. They know where to go. They know what he can do. They're all making their way to him. And I was sitting there on that rock, and I was just thinking, man, where would I be in that scene? Am I aware enough of my need? Am I longing enough for a relationship do I take the initiative to go to him first, believing for his restoration? I pray that I'd be running around that lake shore too to make my way to him. And it says that crowds made their way to him throughout his entire ministry. And the question I have for you as we close is, are you among them? Are you among them? Because ultimately, this is a personal message. It's not enough just to know who he is but you need to experience him. You need to experience this king who's come to bring the kingdom of God. Go back to our core truth. 
Jesus can restore the reign of God into my heart and life again. He can. He can. He invites me to trust and to follow and to experience him fully. He does. He invites you. The only question is, how are you responding? So as we close this morning and our worship team comes, I just, I just want to invite you to really consider for yourself, how do you personally respond to Jesus? Have you trusted him and are you trusting him? Are you is your life marked by the reign of God in your heart and life? Is he at the center? Are you following him? Not just longing for his salvation, but longing for intimacy with him. A new life trajectory that is marked by discipleship, following as close to him as you can on a daily basis. And are you experiencing him fully? Is he your go-to? Is he your go-to? Do you believe that right now in your life, in the areas of brokenness, that he can bring restoration. You believe that, and are you experiencing that? This morning is your opportunity. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come, follow me. The crowds gather to experience his restoring work are you among them?